Well, we're uh, continuing our series, uh, Redeemer DNA, right? We're kind of going through the DNA of what we're all about as a church. Uh, and when we planted this church, like the goal, the vision, is we wanted to be a gospel-centered community on mission. That's what we strive for. We're not perfect in that, but that's, that's what our heart is toward. And so what that means is we want to be a church that is rooted in the gospel, that that is at the, the core of what we are, that we don't just preach the gospel at Christmas and Easter as a way for people who don't know Jesus to meet Jesus, but absolutely that's how we come to faith, but it's also how we grow in the faith. That, that if we want to grow as, as disciples of Christ, right, we, we need to know the gospel. We need to be rooted in the gospel. We need to preach it to ourselves. We need to preach it to one another in community, encourage ourselves with, with what we talked about last week, our, our gospel identity, who we are in Christ because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. That he took our sin, he defeated our sin, he gave us life. And not only that, he adopted us into the family of God, made us sons and daughters of God, made us co-heirs with Christ. We read some of that earlier this morning in our liturgy. That's who we are. And so we wanted to be a community rooted in that, centered on that. But because of the gospel, it always always pushes us into community with, with Christ and with his church, but also always pushes us out to be on mission. Uh, to the city that we live in, to the, to the neighbors that we live amongst, to share the hope that we have in Jesus with them. And so that's, that's the vision of our church. And, and so we talked about last week how the mission, you know, uh, real simple mission statement. We spent a lot of time thinking on it. Uh, it's Matthew 28, right? Um, the Great Commission. Make disciples. There you go. There's the mission. Uh, the mission statement for Redeemer. Make disciples. Reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Build them, equip them up as his church and release them. Equip them and send them out on mission to make more disciples and to join and invite those folks into the, the, the journey and the mission of, of making more disciples. And what we talked about last week is if we're, that's, our, that's our mission, then we really need to be clear on what is a disciple, right? What is a disciple? And, and the definition that a disciple, simply a follower of Jesus, is, is true, but it's inadequate, right? That's inadequate to fully like, express all that it means to be a follower of Christ. And so we offered up this definition. It'll be on the screen here for you again, I believe. Um, a disciple is, I think it's on there. There we go, right? A, a spirit-led follower of Jesus, united with a gospel community, on mission to people of all nations, for the glory of God. Right? That's a succinct way to kind of summarize what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. As you look at the whole of Scripture, these are kind of like the four main components, if you will, of what it means to be a disciple. A spirit-led follower of Jesus, we talked about this last week, that we have a gospel identity. That our identity is not who, what we do, it's not what's been done to us, it's not like our role or life stage or, or anything like that. It's in Christ. Through the finished work of Jesus, through faith in Jesus Christ, our identity is son, daughter of God, co-heir with Christ. The righteousness of God is what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. That's our identity. And that's where we must live and abide out of that identity. We live out of that identity to do the things that we're called to do, to, to live out our mission, if you will, to make disciples. And this week we're going to focus on the second line, right? The second component, united with a gospel community. Gospel community, right? What is it about community, right? What, what is it that, that, like, we all are drawn to it? We want it. We long for it. Like, every single one of us, like, you don't have to be a Christian. You long to belong, right? You long to have some people who know you, who you know, and they're your people, and, and they deeply care for you. Right? We see this all over the place. It's in the TV shows that we lo- love to watch. I mean, like every sitcom that I've ever loved is pretty much built around like some you know, oddball community, right? That they love each other and, and they get along. Whether it's you know, Parks and Rec, or if you go back before that, The Office, or you go back before that, you have like Friends, or back before that, Seinfeld. I'm, I'm 40 today, so go back before that, Cheers, right? Uh, who remembers the show Cheers? Right? All right. Hey, there's a few of you. Okay. I feel comforted. Um, right? And what's the theme song to Cheers? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, right? We, we long to be known, to know and be known, to have a community that, that loves us, that accepts us, that embraces us. And it's not just in the sitcoms, right? It's even in shows like The Walking Dead, 
Right, well, my, my new favorite show, right? I've been, I love The Walking Dead. I can't wait for October. I'm not so sure about this new spinoff, though. And here's why. Because when I think about why, why do I love The Walking Dead? It's the characters. It's the community that they have. That these people in this zombie apocalypse, I know, right? They're drawn together. They love one another. They're fighting to survive. They're caring for one another. And they're this diverse group of people all over the map coming together. And that's what makes me really sad when one of them gets eaten by a bunch of zombies. Um, <laughs> right? But it's not just what we watch, right? It's not just in what we watch. It's what we pursue throughout our life. Right? Think about in your own life. Your own journey, no matter how old you are in the room today, think back on the ways that you have pursued community, belonging from, you know, elementary school and then middle school, high school, college. You know, some of you are living that out right now. You know, even post-college, in the workplace, in your neighborhood. Like, where is it? Like, we're constantly on this search. Like, how have you seen that not only in your life, but witness that in other people where they run to try to find a place to belong, to find community. But what is community? Right? What is it really? What is it really? Is it just like a social club? Is that community? Right? Is it just a bunch of like-minded friends who get along? And, and why? Why do we long for it so much? Well, let's look into uh, the word today, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, and let's see what it has to say for us. Uh, turn there in your Bibles on your app. It's on these page numbers and those great ESV Bibles on your row. And let's, let's stand together. Let's hear from God's Word. I still love that sound. I love it. Acts 2, 42-47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number... Day by day, those who are being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we we thank you for this time to gather um, as your people um, to come together. And we thank you, Lord, for the ways that you have hardwired us and made us for community. And we thank you for the ways that you redeem our community. Save us into community through your Son. Jesus, we we thank you for the work that you've done. We thank you for the way it it reconciles us to yourself, the way it reconciles us to one another, the way it opens our hearts to love in ways that we never could before. I pray today that we would get a glimpse of, of what real gospel community is, that we would get a hunger for it, that we would fight for it, that we'd work for it, that we would pursue it, that we would live it out in this body, in this city, and that through that community, you would draw others to yourself. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. This, uh, this is a passage that I actually preached on the first Sunday that we publicly launched uh, Redeemer, Acts 2, 42 through 47. So it's a, it's a passage that's been at the core, the heart of what this church is about, what we desire to be about, what we aspire to. Uh, and it's a beautiful, beautiful picture of life in the early church in that first century, very first beginnings Christian church, Right? It gives us a beautiful picture of the kind of community that that church had. Right? We see in this passage, right, that they're, right off the bat, they're devoted to the Word of God. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching and, and being together, doing life together, fellowshipping, breaking bread in the homes. They're devoted to praying together. Uh, they're worshiping together. They, they're, they're selling things. They're sacrificing Things for themselves in order to care for others, meet other people's needs, love and bless and serve. 
right? Generous people, right? They're, they're sharing and worship together, and the Lord is, is working through this, and, and we see them making disciples together. That the Lord is saving people through this community. And those are just some of the elements of community we see in, in that early church. And, and one thing I always like to point out when we look at a, a passage like Acts 2, 42-47, is that you have different things in the Bible, right? Some passages of the Scripture are prescriptive, and some are descriptive. Here's what I mean. Some passages are prescriptive, like the doctor writes you a prescription that says, take this, you need to do this to get better. Like they're prescriptive. They say, you need to do this. You need to not do this, right? These are the things you need to put into your life. Other passages of Scripture are descriptive. Right? We can learn from them. They're, they're things that we apply. The Lord works in and through those Scriptures too. But they're descriptive. They're describing what people did. Now, when we talk about Ruth here in, in October, we get to Ruth chapter 3. Descriptive passage, right? One that's a little controversial, and I'll try not to get fired for preaching that. But right, it describes what she does, but doesn't necessarily say, hey, do this, okay? Um, but this is a descriptive passage. Acts 2 is descriptive. It's not saying, this is exactly how your community must live and operate every day of the week, right? But it's simply describing what community looked like in that very first church. And absolutely, absolutely there are some great elements, great principles here of of community that we should try to apply to life in the 21st century. Even in the midst of crazy schedules where like we got eight kids and they're all on like six travel teams and and involved with like show choir and band and orchestra and they like play six instruments all at once and you know they're we're constantly running rampant everywhere and and you know we're involved in in this university club and that university ministry and and we're doing this thing with church and we're you know we're constantly pulled all over the place with these crazy schedules even in the midst of that even in the midst of that we still long for community like this do we not we still long to belong to know and, and and be known to be cared for and encouraged And the reason that we long for community, the reason that we long for community like this is that we're made for community. You are made for community. Now, if you're already in one of our community groups, this is going to be a little bit of a review of what we actually talked about in the study that we're going through in our community groups right now that we talked about this week. But Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, right? This is what it says. Very first book of the Bible, very first chapter of the Bible. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish and over, of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Right? Now, there's so much in those two verses of Scripture. We could say a lot. Like, we could go on a sermon series based on just those two verses of Scripture and kind of what is, like, just loaded within what is said there. So there's, there's much to be said about what it means that we are made in the image of God. Uh, that involves a lot, okay? It's not just, like, one thing that we're going to talk about today. It involves a lot. Clearly, I think what it means primarily is that our primary task as men and women created in the image of God is that we are meant to reflect God, to image him to the world around us. The people are to see him in us. And so that's that's the primary task there. But look look in this verse again, right? Verse 26. How, How does God reveal himself to us in this passage? Like, look at the language of verse 26, Notice this, let us make man in our image after our likeness, right? And we're Christians, right? We believe in one God. So what's this us, our stuff all about? This is like the first kind of place where we really see clearly the doctrine of the Trinity present in the Scripture. The doctrine of the Trinity, which is the word Trinity doesn't occur in the Bible at all, but yet the Trinity is all over the Scriptures, you know, one of the most evident places that you see the Trinity is at Jesus' baptism, right? Where God the Son, Jesus Christ, is baptized. The Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, descends on him from above. And out of the heavens comes the voice of God the Father saying, This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. All three persons of the Trinity present at once together at work in that moment, right? 
The Trinity is throughout the pages of Scripture. And what the Trinity is, is, is this, right? One God who eternally exists as three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Who are each eternal, right? They didn't like, it's like God doesn't shape shift. Like, I'm the Father now. Whoop, now I'm the Son. And now I'm the Holy. Like, no, right? Eternally exists as three persons. Jesus Christ was not just born in Bethlehem. He has always been, Right? The Holy Spirit wasn't just sent on the day of Pentecost. He has always been, right? right? Eternally existent, each fully and equally God. And, and so what that means is, part of what that means within that doctrine is that God has always existed as a community. God is community. A perfect community of love and worship. And in His image, right, He makes us. In the image of Trinity, we are made in the image of a God who is triune, triunity, right? Which means that we are made for community. That's one, one of the many implications of what it means to be made in the image of God. It means that we are made for community. We're made to image a God who is community. And he makes us for community with him. Invites us into community with him. He makes us to have community with, with one another. And you see this in the, the narrative in Genesis 2, right? It's not good for man to be alone. So he creates a wife, creates a woman, and, and he gives them community, right? So this desire for community is hardwired within us. Whether you're a Christian or not, right, this, is, this is in you. Right? You desire community. You're hardwired with this desire for community, and so the question is, if we all long for community, if we're made for community, you know, then, then why can't we just get along, right? Why is our life in community not just filled with rainbows and unicorns and we're all just happy all the time, right? Why, why is it so difficult? Because of the fall, right? Because of the fall. Genesis 3, we see, we see how it plays out, right? Satan tempts us first by distorting God's word, right? He comes to the woman and he says, did God actually say... You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. It's a distortion of God's word because that's not what God has said. God actually had said, you may eat of any tree in the garden except for this one, right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You must not eat of this tree because the day that you do, you will surely die. But yet Satan comes and he distorts God's word. He says, God say you can't eat of any tree in the garden. Oh, no, no, no. He's, we, can eat, we can eat the trees, right? And then he tempts us that we can be like God. Right? You will not surely die if you eat of that tree. You will not. For God knows, God actually knows the secret here, that when you eat of that tree, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Right? He tempts us that we can be like God. And our first parents give in to sin. And as a result of their sin, they cut off community with God, sever their relationship with God, sentence themselves to death, the punishment, the just penalty for their sin that they were even told would happen beforehand, right? And they fracture community even amongst us as people. And we've all followed in that same pattern since then, right? Distorting God's word and settling for a pursuit of, no, I think I'm a better God than God. Right? I think I got this figured out a little bit better than him. I, I want to be God. I want to be sovereign. I want to be in control. I want to call the shots for me. And, and we pursue that. And as a result, we're, we're living in broken, fractured community. Cut off from God apart from the intervening, saving work of Christ. And, and fractured relationships with one another. Right? Our relationships in this world are not what God designed for them to be. Right? They're not what they were meant to be. Sin and selfishness have distorted our community. They fractured it. And not only that, but sin and selfishness have distorted our understanding of what community even is. Right? It, we don't have a clear understanding of what community is because of our sin, because of our selfishness. So in my brokenness, this is what I think community is now. This is what we naturally think it is, right? People who are like me. People who look like me, people who are in the same life stage as me, people who get me, who agree with me, who share all my opinions on everything with me, right? People who, 
basically you know, allow me to be God and sovereign over my community and have the community that I love that will basically worship and affirm everything that I think is true about me, right? And what happens is, right, we, we have a world full of broken community then because we're all selfish, all of us. And what we tend to do is we deify what we are and what we like and we demonize what we're not and what we don't like. Right? We deify, we make God-like the things that we are and like, and we make in the demons, we treat like demons the things that we disagree with, that we don't like, that we're not. And you see this over and over again, all over the place. This is why there is rampant prejudice and racism of all kinds and stripes all over the earth. Right? This is why we hate one another so much. This is why Democrats and Republicans hate each other, right? And, and let's get ready because it's, it's time to like get into it again, right? Uh, we're gearing up for another election season, so it's time to start like really hating one another and, and drawing lines in the sand. Right? This is why we're constantly just dividing ourselves into all these little like subgroups because of our desires for community. They have been distorted. They've been fractured by the fall, and it's because of our sin and our selfishness. And this is where we sit, right? This is the world that we live in apart from the saving, intervening work of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Broken community, right? Selfishness. And yet here's what Jesus did, right? God, the Son, came to earth, was born as a man, and lived the sinless life that we never could, right? Perfect in all the ways that we fail, Selfless in all the ways that we are selfish, without sin. He lived the life that we should have lived but never could, right? And he went to the cross and he dies the death that we deserve in our place for our sins, right? He dies as our sin and he atones for our sin. He reconciles us to God. He rises again victorious over the grave. And so that through faith, we could be reconciled to God. We could have restored community with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And not only that, we could have restored community with one another because we are saved into community, right? We're saved into community. If you're a Christian, you're saved into community. What did we talk about last week? You are adopted into the family of God, your sons and daughters. You know what that means? It means you've got a lot of brothers and sisters now. It's not just you and Jesus, Right? It's not just you and Jesus. Sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters, were restored, reconciled into community with God as his children. And, and the picture of the Bible is not this. It's not a bunch of isolated individuals like saved into a personal quiet time with Jesus for the rest of your days. Right? That is not what Christianity is. You're not saved in this. It's just me and Jesus from now on. We're reconciled, but... Not the rest of you clowns, right? I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want you to really know anything about me. It's just me. and Je- That's not what we see in the scriptures. Again and again and again, we're saved into family, into community. Look, look at Acts chapter 2 again. All right? Acts 2. What, what happens at the beginning of Acts chapter 2? We read the, the last verses of, of Acts 2, the very end of the chapter. And we see that picture uh, of community in the early church. But how does Acts 2 begin? You remember? Right, look at it if you need to. But right, the, the day of Pentecost starts with the day of Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has ascended. The Holy Spirit comes, descends on the apostles. They're filled with the Spirit. They, they, these tongues of fire, right? They start speaking, sharing. And, and it says in, in the beginning of Acts chapter 2 that in Jerusalem at this time were devout Jews from every nation under heaven. And this most interesting thing happens. These people from all over the world start hearing the apostles speaking in their own language. They can understand what's being said. Right? And they understand. And then Peter preaches a sermon that day. Right? Most of Acts 2 is, is Peter's sermon. And apparently it was a pretty good sermon. Because like 3,000 people responded and put their hope in Jesus that day. Right? If you read Acts chapter 1, the church is about... Total followers of Christ at that point is about 120 people. Right? Now Acts chapter 2 happens, day of Pentecost happens. Into that day, we grew by 3,000. Right? So 120, now it's 3,120 followers of Christ. 
Okay? Pretty, pretty good sermon, pretty good day. Right? That's a pretty good growth rate if you're into church growth kind of statistics. Uh, I didn't figure it out, but that, that would be a pretty high percentage. Um, and what happens, though? Immediately, in, in verse 41, right? it goes from, and, and added that day were 3,000 new followers of Christ, right? Baptized followers of Christ. And immediately goes into verse 42. And they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to prayers. Right? Immediately it goes from 3,000 people just got saved. And here's a picture of where they're living. In community. In the church. Brothers and sisters living together. Right? Saved into community. And it's not some homogenous, we're all the same and in the same place of life community. We're, we're saved into a diverse community body of Christ, the family of God, the church universal and its local expression. Right? Ephesians chapter 2, Paul talks about how, how in Christ two peoples who hated one another are reconciled as one new man, one new humanity. The, the Jewish people and the Gentiles. Years and years and years of hatred, animosity. And yet it says, Paul says in Ephesians 2, what, what Jesus has done is he's made the two one in Christ. It's what it says, verses 13 through 16, Ephesians 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He's referring to the Gentiles, like the Jewish people had that initial covenant with God. But now he's saying, you Gentile Christians, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Right? Not all of the law, right? There's separate sections of the law, the moral law, the, the civil law, the ceremonial laws. And what he's saying is those ceremonial civil things that kind of separated out God's people, the Israelites, from everyone else and kind of like made you outsiders, he's abolished that. He fulfilled that. And he's made you one now. That he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So Jesus, through his cross, kills the hostility that divides us up into all these little groups, these, these, these groups where we hate one another. He kills that hostility, and he makes peace, bringing us together in him, in his body the church, right? He makes us one, one family of young and old, black and white, rich and poor, Republican and Democrat even, right? Jesus kills the sin, the selfishness, the hostility that divides us and he makes us a family in him. He makes us one in him. That's, that's the picture. This is, this is the picture that John, the Apostle John gets as he sees that glimpse of heaven. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, John writes, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm, white, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation! belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's the picture of the church universal. The one body of Christ. That's where we're headed, folks. Right? That's what will be. That will, will, is what will be for eternity. One family together worshiping our King. Right? Living in glory with our King. And it's a diverse body. It is a diverse body. Right? I love this quote from Russell Moore because I think a lot of us, especially in the United States, especially those of us who are white, need to, need to hear this. Right? Russell Moore says this, Most of the body of Christ in heaven and on earth isn't white, isn't American, and has never spoken English. Do we see that? Right? This is not the whole body of Christ. We're part of it, but this is not the whole thing. And what we're meant to be as a, as, a, as a church, a local church, a local expression of that universal church, is we are to be the best image, the best echo of what we see in heaven, that diverse body of Christ, imaging the gospel of reconciliation that destroys the hostility that divides us and makes us one 
in him. That's what we're called to be. We need a bigger and more biblical view of the community, the body that we've been saved into. Right? Body of Christ. You know, go to Brazil. Maybe go across the street. But the, the body of Christ is, is far bigger, far much more, much more diverse than we realize. And we're to live this understanding of community out in our local church. Right? We're saved into the universal body of Christ, but we live it out in a local expression of that. In a local church where you are known and you know people. And we're growing together in the gospel. Uh, let, me, let me explain this. It, it would have been really easy for the apostles when they were first planning the churches, those initial churches. As you read through the book of Acts, they're, they're planting churches all over the place as the gospel spreads. It would have been really easy for them to go from place to place and plant a Jewish Christian church over here, and then we'll plant a Gentile Christian church over here. We'll keep them separate because we know about the history, right? We know that there's a lot of hatred, animosity here, so we'll plant one over here, just the Jewish Christians. We'll plant just the Gentile Christians over here. We'll keep them separate. That's not what they did that is not what they did you know why because they had a bigger view of the global gospel uh, of the throne of heaven and and the multitude of every tribe every language every tongue gathered around worshiping together and and they planted churches that would best reflect that diverse churches as diverse as they can be in the context in which they are in diverse churches one new man A new community established in Christ. We're meant to embody and to demonstrate the reconciling power of the gospel. The reconciling power of the gospel. That's what we're called to live out as a local body here. And this is something we can only do, I think, in a local church. I love, I love a lot of, of work that, that parachurch ministries do, that age-specific, life-stage-specific ministries do. I'm not saying that they're evil and that there's not a place for them. They are a great help, a great, a great partner for the local church, so long as they partner with the local church and don't seek to replace the local church. Because you can't have a diverse community when we're all 18, you know? You can't have an, a diverse community when we're all empty nesters. Right? A diverse body. It's only in the local church, right? That's where that is lived out primarily. You can't fully do that anywhere else. So we're saved into a community that crosses all demographics. It is meant to reflect the diversity of the universal church locally. And the local church, just so you know, it's, I know some of us are like, ah, local church, I don't know. Like, you know. I read this blogger or whatever, and he was kind of like, ah, I'm down on the church. I don't think I need to go anymore. You know, so I don't know about the church. It's not a construct of man. Do you understand that? It's not something that we have just made to like organize people together, but it is what Jesus set forth for us. Right? He gave us the sacraments, the, the ordinances of, of baptism in community. He gave them to the local church. And he set in motion the establishment and the planting of churches that we see through Acts with qualified leaders organizing and, and bringing those communities together. Right, John Stott says it this way in his book, The Living Church. The church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. It's not a divine afterthought. It is not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community. For his purpose conceived in eternity, in a past eternity, being worked out in history, and to be perfected in a future eternity, is not just to save isolated individuals and so perpetuate our loneliness, but rather to build his church. That is, to call out of the world a people for his own glory. I mean, that's the message of the Bible. God calling out a people for himself. And he's established the church and its local expression to live that out. And so in a local church, we're called to live this out, living in gospel community, living in gospel community. So, so let's quickly just understand what we mean by gospel community by talking about what it's not. Right? Gospel community is not a social club. Right? This, is, this isn't a country club. The church is not a country club. It's not a place where you, you become a member, although I do think membership's important. We'll talk about it in a minute. But it's not a place you become a member just to get like some perks and have a good thing to do on, on Sundays, right? Have something to do on the weekends. It's, it's not a social club. It's something beyond that. It's not a therapy group, right? 
Now, don't hear me wrong. I think much care and counseling happens in gospel community. And, and we do overcome sin, and we, we address those issues with the gospel. But a therapy group is centered around a struggle. It's centered around our, 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 our brokenness and our, our struggles. A gospel community is, is centered around the gospel, around the hope that we have in Jesus. So care happens, growth happens, redemption happens in gospel community, but it's not a therapy group. It's not a therapy group. It's not a program. It's not a way to like, hey, we got a few hundred people here, so let's like break them up into smaller groups and let's make the church smaller. It's not a program. It's not something we just schedule and put on the calendar. There may be events scheduled, but real gospel community is day in, day out, life together. It's not not a program. And this last one, you may be like, kind of, what do you mean? But it's not exclusively Christian. A gospel community is not exclusively Christian. Because if we're centered around the gospel, we're living in community centered around the gospel, it will necessarily push us out to befriend neighbors, coworkers, friends who don't know Jesus. And it will necessarily move us to open our mouths and share the hope that we have to invite them into community with us, to let them journey with us, and let them belong even before they believe to a certain point, right? To be a part of community with us so that they might witness, they might see the gospel doing its work in this community. A gospel community is not just a bunch of Christians. It's not. Let's talk about a few elements that we see here in Acts 2, right? That, that we should and most definitely need to have in our gospel community. Right, first off, centered on the gospel, right? Centered on the gospel, centered on the word of God. And Romans 1.16 says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. And what we believe is that the gospel is, is where the power is for transformation and growth in Christ. It's where we are, are saved. It's through hearing the gospel, responding to the good news of what Jesus has done, his life, death, resurrection, to save us from sin and death. That's where the power of salvation is. It's also where the power for continued transformation and growth, overcoming our sins and our struggles, being made more and more in the likeness of Christ. It's the gospel. That's where the power is. But guess what? The word is where the gospel is. The word of God, centered on God's word. Not on like what we think, on our opinions, but on the word of God. That it is the final arbiter in all matters of life and faith. And a gospel community is most necessarily centered on the gospel, on the word of God. You see that verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the word. That's the gospel. They were devoted first and foremost to that. Devoted to prayer, right? See that also in verse 42, praying together, praying for one another. Like not as a last resort, you know, but, but praying regularly for the church for each other, for our city, for the world, praying, going in, to God in community. Right? Actually praying beyond just like my aunt's sick. Those are good things to pray for. Don't hear me saying we're not supposed to pray for a sick aunt, a sick mom, sick whatever. But, but actually sharing our own hearts and praying for one another. Right? Praying for our gospel growth. Praying for our struggles, our sin. Our temptation, praying for redemption, breaking bread together, right? Uh, but this definitely refers to the Lord's Supper, sharing in the Lord's Supper. But it also goes further in this. It, it seems very clear in verses 42, 46 that what's also in view is gathering together in our homes and sharing a meal together, doing life together, right? inviting people into our, our sacred spaces, if you will. And inviting you into my home, that we would share a meal, that we would, we would share time together in fellowship, that we would encourage one another. We'd, you know, not just organize like, well, it's Bible study night, so people are coming over, but just this is the rhythm of our life. We invite people into our life with us, and we break bread together. I mean, what is more, <laughs> communicates more our acceptance and love of people than sitting down to share a meal in our own home with someone? And not just Christians. Hospitality in the Bible actually means inviting non-believers into your home to sit down and break bread together. 
That's what hospitality in the, in the Bible actually refers to. Confession and repentance. Right, this isn't as clear in the text, and, and I might be stretching it, but I believe in verse 44, is where it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. For that statement to be true, I think most necessarily, there's confession and repentance of sin in gospel community. Right? Both confession and repentance. I mean, confession is admitting sin, it's admitting my sin, but, but repentance is turning from sin. Desiring to turn from sin and turning from sin. Not just like, oh, I messed up, you know, wish me luck next time. But I desire to live for Christ. To walk in newness of life here. To turn from my struggle. Confession and repentance. If we're in real, authentic community, we're going to be honest. That gospel community is not the small group where everybody comes every week and, and puts on the smile. Or we come every Sunday together to gather in the church to worship. But we, and we just smile and we pretend like everything's great. Right? When your marriage is a train wreck. Right? It's not great. You're not doing anybody a help if that's your marriage right now. If it's a train wreck and you come in here smiling, pretending like it's great, that's not good for you. So let's be honest. Let's be honest and share and invite community in to love, to preach the gospel, to to offer offer care and, and support and counsel, to walk with one another through those struggles rather than just like standing on the other side like, hope you make it, brother, you know. To actually walk together. But that starts with us being honest. It starts with us gathering together and being real about our struggles. And confessing and repenting of our sin. Forgiveness and reconciliation. Most necessarily, if we're going to have confession and repentance, we're also going to have forgiveness and reconciliation. We're going to have all things in common. I mean, how can you look at the gospel of Jesus Christ... And, and, and apply that to yourself personally. Right? And realize, here's the truth of, of the cross. When you look at the cross, it outs you. Right? This is why we're free to confess and repent, because, and repent of our sins, because the cross has already outed you. Right? It's all laid bare before the throne of God. So you're already outed, so we're free to confess and repent of our sins and our struggles. But most necessarily, as we look at the cross and we see our sin, we see Jesus taking our sin, becoming our sin, dying as our sin, and then offering us and saying, you're forgiven. Not only are you are forgiven, you're clothed in my perfect righteousness. Before the eyes of God, you're as clean as I am. You're declared the righteousness of God. If you look at the cross and you see that, that that's, that's what Jesus has to say about you when you're sin, when you've sinned against him. And you start to understand, my sin against Christ is far greater than anyone else's sin against me. That's truth. You drove him to his death. I drove him to his death. Your sin against Christ is far greater than any sin that could be committed against you. And yet, what does he do every time when you turn in repentance and faith to him, forgiveness, grace, mercy. If we look at that, and we're living in gospel community centered on that, we will most necessarily forgive one another. We will have conflict, we will sin against one another, but we will forgive, we will extend grace to one another, and we will reconcile. We'll reconcile relationships. I don't get it when a Christian cannot have reconciliation with a brother and sister in Christ. Like, I understand in situations where there's like abuse or something and somebody's not repentant, like we can't, you don't reconcile that. You, you forgive, we let go, but maybe not necessarily reconciliation. But within the church, right, we're just talking like, you offended me, whatever. We can't reconcile. I don't think we get the gospel. I don't think we get it. Serving and caring for one another, verses 44 and 45, right? Putting others first, meeting practical needs, serving, sacrificing, sacrificing of what we have to care for one another in community, right? I mean, that, this kind of comes down to the whole idea, everything under the earth is God's anyway. It's not really mine. I'm just a steward. And what he moves me to do through the gospel, through gospel community, is to see needs around me and to let go, 
to open my hands and serve and meet needs. Not just of brothers and sisters in the community, that's the first place we serve and care for, but even people in the city around us who are in need. We serve, we give of our time, talent, and treasure. And this is most perfectly modeled in our Lord himself. What, what does he do? Right? He picks up the towel and the basin, and he washes his disciples' feet. The king of kings gets down on his knees and washes the dirty, gross feet of his followers. That's the kind of leader that he is. It's the kind of king that he is. It most necessarily moves us to serve and care and meet needs. And lastly, on mission together. Right, verse 47, what's most interesting there is it's not just that they make disciples, but it says that they have favor. They're having favor with all the people. That's, that's big, right? That the people outside the church respect you. That they know you, they know what you believe, and they respect you. They may not agree with what you believe. They may disagree very, very hostily sometimes. But they can respect you in the way that you go about your life and the way you love and serve and, and, and bless others having favor with all the people. And notice it's not the community that saves, it's the Lord who adds daily to the number of those who are being saved. It's the Lord who saves. It's not us trying really hard to have a perfect community so we might convince some people to come on over to Jesus, but rather, no, we're just faithful. We live it out. We let the gospel transform us and we love one another well and we let him speak through us. Like we open our mouths and we share the gospel, we let him save people. We let him add to the number because that's his job, right? That's his job. Community is, is a profound way that, that Jesus displays and makes known his gospel. Um, let me skip that quote. I'll post it for you later. But I want to I honor your time. So what do we do, right? A great place to start for you is to join a community group, right? To get in a community group. If you're not in one, join a community group. And it's not just a program here. We don't see those as a program, but we see those as where we live out Acts 2, 42 through 47. That this is where we can be community, grow in community. It starts with a day of the week, but our hope is that those communities are growing more and more to daily share life together, to daily be on mission together in the ways that we can in the midst of 21st century life. right? To know and be known, to encourage, to care, to serve, to be on mission together. Join a community group. I would encourage you to pursue membership, right? Some of you, maybe your first week here, so no pressure, right? Uh, but if you find that this is a place that you want to continue to gather at over time, you should pursue membership and, and partnering with a local church. I believe that is biblical, um, and I, I would be happy to walk through some of that with you if you've got questions. And, and sometimes I think we bristle at that because we think it's an attack on my individualism, on my freedom. But I love this quote from, from Pastor Daniel Montgomery in his book, Faith Mapping. Right? We are deceived if we think we're free because, uh, because we have no commitment. In reality, Christians who think they've made no commitments, who believe themselves free, are slaves to the worst kind of obligation, commitment to self. And all of our personal histories should be enough to convince us that the first Christian church of me is a lousy place for accountability, encouragement, and support. Amen? Have we not experienced that? Like when it's just me on my own, I need some help, right? You need some help. And I know sometimes in a town where we're all transient and people are only here, like I'm only here four years, two years, six months, a week, whatever. Um, it, we're like, ah, I'm just not going to do that because I'm not here that long. And I would push back against you and say, while you're here for the next four months, do you not need accountability, encouragement, and support? Do you not need that while you're here? Do you not need that over the next two years, over the next four years? Whatever it is. I, I, I need it. I bet you do too. So why not go as deep as you can while you're here? You might learn something. It might prepare you for where you go next in life. It might teach you how to go into that next church in that next city ready to give, ready to serve, ready to lead even. So why not? The New Testament has no understanding of a Christian who's not deeply connected to a local church. Has no understanding of that. You read through the passages of, of the New Testament. I mean, how many of the, the letters of the New Testament are addressed to churches, to congregations, to local churches? A lot of them. How, mu how many times do we read like the you statements, like the things that are addressed to you 
in the Bible. And because English is, it doesn't really help us with plural, we don't maybe catch it, but I challenge you to go back and look at how many times it says you, and it doesn't mean you individual. It means you, people of God, you, gospel community. Right? The Bible has no understanding of a Christian who's not deeply connected in community with a local church. It doesn't get it. it doesn't get it. We need each other. We need support. You know, when, when we first planted this church, my desire was, I want to provide an opportunity. I, I see these people. I see these students I was working with. I see these families that we're meeting in the community who need the gospel. They need community with one another. And, and there's a, a whole city that we need to be on mission toward and sharing the hope of Jesus with, for sure. And I wanted to provide that community for them. But what I quickly discovered, what Crystal and I quickly discovered as we planted this church, was how desperately starved for community we were. How much we needed this community. We needed brothers and sisters to love us, to come alongside of us, and to know us, and, and, to, be, and to know them, for us to know them. Right? We, we need one another. And over the years we've seen, these last three years, we've seen this community, like the Lord worked through it in powerful ways to transform and redeem and move people beyond habitual sins or restore broken relationships and marriages even, restored to see uh, the people meet Jesus, meet Jesus and, and, and become followers of Christ through life and gospel community. Right? And so I challenge you to go all in. And to go as deep as you can go while you're here. We're called as disciples of Christ to be united with the gospel community. So may we be as deeply united as we can for his glory. That through this community, as we root ourselves, center ourselves in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he might save some through us. That he might use us to further his kingdom and his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time uh, to worship. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for the gift of, of redeemed community with you, redeemed community with one another. I pray that more and more we would reflect as, as best we can in Bloomington, Indiana, Revelation 7-9. A diverse community of every tribe, nation, and language. God, that you would grow us in, in deeper trust deeper honesty, that we would be a community where we confess and we repent, we forgive and we reconcile, that we live out the gospel, that people see and understand the gospel through how they see us living with one another. We pray that you would do that in a powerful way, Lord, that you would save people through this community, that you would redeem broken lives, you would heal broken relationships, that you would receive all the glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.